Welcome to the Talking Transformation podcast. I'm your podcast host, Peter Ahmad, recording from Cape Town, South Africa, since June 2019. The Talking Transformation podcast provides an open and accessible platform for built environment professionals and interest groups to share their reflections and aspirations relating to the transformation of places and spaces in South Africa. It's intended to be a celebration of the individuals and community groups who are supporting formal and informal processes that are addressing the challenges of South Africa's history and shaping the future of our neighborhoods and cities. After a welcome break, welcome back to the Talking Transformation podcast, the first of two episodes recorded at the Esri South Africa User Conference in the Drakensberg, held during the week of the 23rd of October. As somebody who's used GIS extensively over my career as a town planner, mostly within the metropolitan planning space, it's almost impossible to imagine a world without GIS being a major contributor to the policies that have shaped the cities I've worked in and the evidence base that hopefully can convince decision makers to take well-informed decisions. Esri South Africa had very kindly invited me to make two presentations as contributions to their program, reflecting on that experience and how I've used GIS over my career. It was a real pleasure and an absolute privilege to be part of what is evidently a community of GIS practitioners who are making a big difference to the clients and the communities that they serve. Those clients are drawn not only from the public sector, your government departments and the like, but also the non-governmental organizations and business sector who are all in evidence during the week. In this first episode, we hear from the ESRI staff and conference organizers talking about the connecting community theme of the conference. A welcome return to an in-person conference arrangement after the challenges of COVID. And we'll also hear about advances in technology and the specific highlights from a very busy program from the ESRI team members. It's not only a South African flavor, you'll also hear from Adam Carno, who is one of the ESRI global delegates having traveled in from the United States. You'll also hear about the Southern African feel to the participation with delegates from across Southern Africa being in attendance. Our second episode will turn our attention to two of the younger GIS users as they reflect on the YES internship program and the hackathon competitions run by ESRI. In addition, we look at the inspirational STEAM Coding for Kids initiative. That was my own personal highlight of the conference. There's lots to look forward to and I hope plenty to reflect on from this first installment. But first up, we hear from my friend and colleague, Stuart Martin. Stuart and I have been friends and colleagues for many years, and he's been an inspiration and constant supporter of the different questions I've been trying to answer, whether up in Johannesburg or down in Cape Town. I asked him to talk a bit about some of the apps and tools that have become available that are perhaps less known to the broader planning community, but are certainly things I'll be looking at to see how we can best use them with the engagements with communities and clients going forward. I really hope you'll enjoy Stuart's insights, his reflections on a very, very long and distinguished career in the GIS field. I also hope you'll be able to take some of the insights from Stuart and use some of these tools that he's talking about within the work that you may be working on or the communities that you're working with. As always, we hope you enjoy the episode. So here we are in the most beautiful, beautiful backdrop and scenery of KwaZulu-Natal and Drakensberg in the distance there. And I'm absolutely delighted to be with my old friend and colleague, for many years, Stuart Martin. Stuart, how are you keeping and what brings you to this part of the world? 
Well, Pete, yeah, it's excellent seeing you here. Uh, great place. Memories of a couple of years ago where we did meet up here. Well, I'm here because I'm representing Esri and some of the work that we're doing. And it is such a great event. And after so many years to, to have and see some of our old friends in this industry back. And sometimes it is easy to get disillusioned of where we're going. And just knowing that all these people are going to be in one place, a family, and we are going to talk and understand what everybody's doing and how we can move forward. Fantastic. So this is the first Esri conference, correct me if I'm wrong, since the, the whole COVID situation and you've been doing, I think, online for the last couple of years. You've had many conferences, but this is the first for a while in person, correct? There's been four conferences at this venue. This is the fourth and yes, we haven't had a conference. The last one was in October in 2019. It's four years, basically. We haven't had a conference. We haven't had a national conference. We've had sort of regional interventions where you would say we, we would get people together and do webinars, a lot of webinars. It's been a bit of a challenge getting people back into a room, but it started to happen, and I think it's happening more and more. But this has blown our socks off. We put this event out with the idea of let's see how many people come. And the people are coming. And and this is about getting people together, talking this language of mapping. So jokingly say the mappiest place in South Africa is this week, is down here in the Drakensberg. But let us exchange ideas, exchange stories, and exchange stories about what's happened the last four years. Because it hasn't been easy. And But what are we doing? What lessons can we learn from each other? And where are we making that difference? Stuart, you've, you've got decades in this industry. You've been working in and around this space for a very long time. I think we first met around 2006, seven, something like that. Yeah. And we started to talk about the way that you were mapping land use in and around the cities. In fact, the whole land use cover for South Africa. At that stage with GeoTerra Image, if yes, I remember correctly. Yes. And with that, that was a real big moment for me moment of clarity around things like the backyards versus informal settlements and the quantum behind that. You really helped me in my career advance a lot of the thinking through GIS. And what, since that period of 2006 7 to where we are now, almost 20 years on, what's changed? What's the landscape look like? And what are you particularly looking forward to hearing about in terms of those stories, not just of what's happened over the last four years, but where this thing is ultimately heading? Our engagements were all about building up these foundational data sets. I think it, it sounds so simple to say how many people live in a municipality, how many households are in a municipality. But the fact is, is that many municipalities know how many properties there are. But when it comes to households and potentially then taking it further to people, that, that doesn't exist. In my workings at GeoTerra Image and even now, it's about how do we build these foundational data sets and how do we then affect evidence-based decision-making, that we're not estimating or guessing or wondering, that we know what's going on. So what has happened? I think my days of GIS, and it's been interesting already talking to some of the colleagues around here and, and some of the work we've, we used to do in very complicated and intensive environments where you would be in a big lab with lots of big computers and people would wonder what you did, and your product was a paper map. And that was very archaic, by today's standards, but also very stoic. I mean, you publish the map and you publish one in six months' time. Where we are now is in this ability to create dynamic access to data for people to make decisions on. And to use the term of a dashboard, that we can now publish dashboard information of what people are doing in the field in real time. We can now provide data to people within an organization which is geo-enabled 
but which gives people access to this data in an easy-to-use way so that they can start making better decisions. So if you think of decision-making, you think of policy formulation, we need to give decision-makers this data. It mustn't be hidden behind a GIS professional. It must be something that I can have on my phone or in my desktop or on my web browser that I can see this data. Otherwise, it doesn't get to the decision-maker. We now have those tools to do it. And you'll see a lot of that this week of how we can now start engaging with clients, less GIS-inclined clients, decision-makers with domain experience to start using this data. And it's our job as professional GIS practitioners to make sure the right data is captured, maintained, available for people. But the tools have matured and come of age that we can now give this data to people. People talk about analysis-ready data. People talk about decision-ready data. So you can have all the data in the world, but if it's not in a format that somebody can engage with it and start using it for decision-making, it's not useful. This is what you'll see this week. Some of the things I've been made aware of in this last week, not things I'm not necessarily familiar with. I know my Arc desktop, and I've started to get a bit more hands-on with ArcGIS Online. But I'm hearing things about Arc Urban, Arc Survey, Arc... Hub. Tell us a bit about these, I'm guessing they're apps and tools that are being integrated and help, I guess, communities, engagement, taking information and giving feedback loops. Tell us a bit about these things, Stu. If you think, what do we do in this GIS environment? We capture data. We collect a lot of information. So in the case of a property, we would understand the zoning on that property, so height restrictions and, and, and land use restrictions on the property. We are now able to build models into a tool, and you've just spoken about it, ArcGIS Urban, where we can start visualizing these rules relating to zoning. So the idea would be I'm building a property. I want it to have five stories of which the first story and maybe undergrounds parking. The second story is a retail type environment, and then the, the rest of the stories are residential. We could now start asking the software questions of how would I position this? What type of square meterage could I have? How am I going to reduce the shadowing effect on the road so that people don't go walking down a canyon in a road and there's just tall buildings around them? How do we create from a perspective, allow a land use a rezoning and a redevelopment, but that it does not impact the usability of that road? A uh, stupid example was recently looked at some data that Itaquini has captured, and they use it to model the impact on the beaches along places like Umschlange and Belita of if you're building a tall building, will it impact how much sun the beach gets? Especially because of the alignment of the beaches sure. being north-south. Sure. And so you do not want somebody to build a monstrosity next to the beach, which then blocks the sun on the beach for a couple of hours a day. And they model that. And I think that is so exciting. Recently, saw some work that City of Cape Town's doing where they're looking at three-dimensional buildings. So they've captured their buildings really well. But they're also now creating a three-dimensional zoning picture to understand how well the buildings are aligned to the zoning and then where can people potentially put another story where they're already blocking views and things like that. And that is some of the exciting stuff. It sounds to me a lot like a sort of a Sim City on steroids. Is this is this what we're going to? And how does infrastructure and that sort of thing start? There's almost the subterranean. You're talking about what's on top of the surface. How 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 can you start stitching together the subterranean infrastructure as well? 
So you're 100% right. I mean, we spoke a bit earlier about this concept of virtual reality. So how do we I walk down Adderley Street in, in Cape Town and see what I would see if I was there? So we see that in some of the tools which are out there. But now that's great and it's nice, but how do we turn that into a tool that actually can assist with decision-making? And in this case, it will be things like the shadowing. It will be what is the ability to place solar panels on the roof? Is there enough roof areas that pointing in the right direction? What's the impact? How much electricity could I potentially uh, generate on a, on a typical summer's day on a roof? And then how do I interact with my neighborhood? Am I blocking views in the case of a sea view property? Am I clattering the skyline in, in terms of that people don't get access to natural light and trees won't grow there? And, and it's about seeing this bigger picture. But then, as you say, what's going on underground? infrastructure how am i impacting runoff in an area if i go and harden the whole surface it's first of all an impact on the stormwater system but what's the impact on the heat in that area if we don't have trees and what's things like parks and stuff like that so we are able to now start modeling outside of our traditional town planning to look at urban heat islands to look at um, flood attenuation to look at all of these things and then as you go underground i mean we know when it comes to infrastructure that you have limitations in an area and is the limitation transport is it electricity is it water is it wastewater removal let's start using these tools to see this bigger picture we're not just looking for permission to build because there's an open piece of property do we have enough electricity you mentioned to me many years ago in a presentation of how do you deal with an area which doesn't have enough electricity well maybe you have a mixed land use where you have residential plus commercial that there's a balance of the electricity use over a 24-hour cycle because if i just put in commercial i'm taxing the network if i just put in a residential i'm taxing the network let us rather balance that with a mixed land use and i think that's where the tools are starting to allow us to do this that we can see this big picture, looking for context, relationships, patterns between different things and how we work together. I think it's fascinating that on the one hand, we've talked about the subterranean, we've talked about what happens on top of the land, and now you're bringing in another dimension in relation to the sort of climate change agenda as well, the heat islands, the runoff, etc., the drainage. And I mean, we're seeing this becoming increasingly urgent within particularly our metropolitan areas, but also areas which are subject to tidal rise, coastal erosion. Where are we seeing this being implemented around South Africa from your observation, the clients that you have? Who's doing particularly well? You've talked about it. Queenie, anywhere else you'd like to sort of give props to in terms of their, their efforts? So as I mentioned as well, Cape Town, doing some of the stuff on the visual side, which, I, which is an innovative use of it. We are not sitting in a situation where we don't have the, the raw input data. We now to now start answering these difficult questions. And a lot of the developments, and we, and we were speaking earlier about these satellite developments around um, municipalities. So we take the Aerotropolis in, around Owatambo Airport out in, in Kuruleni. And the impact all these logistics centers have had on the hardening of the surface in that area. And it's, it's very ironic. I was involved with a project for a lecturer at UNISA many years ago. And she was asking me, what's the impact of development going to do on the Reetflay Nature Reserve. Now, Reetflay Dam is a dam just to the south of Pretoria, the old Centurion, and it is a dam which is used for water. So it's a 
The dam is there as a water source for Pretoria, but it also has a nature reserve around it, and it's well um, visited, and, and, it, and people go and visit there. And she, she was talking about the development that was happening in the Tswani boundary, and it's mainly residential development on the nature reserve, and she was looking at what's the impact of that on the nature reserve. And my comment to was, it's irrelevant. You need to look at what's happening around Owatambo Airport. And she looked at me and she said, explain a bit more. And I started showing her some maps. And I said to her, your problem that you have is the water quality that's coming out of the catchment. And the catchment actually stops at the northern threshold of Owatambo Airport. And the development that's happening to the north is significant in terms of runoff and the change in water quality and the, the change in water quantity after a storm. So now you're starting to find that there's an impact on the water in the dam across the municipality. So because municipalities aren't aligned to drainage basins or catchment basins, you have a challenge that a Kuruleni are building or allowing development, correctly so, but it impacts a dam in Tswani. Now the problem is, if that dam quality gets too poor, the nature reserve might not exist anymore. 100%, that's the knock-on impact, right? Yes. Now, are Ekurulini considering that? Maybe, maybe not. But how can Swanee influence development outside of its own boundary when it impacts their environment? And I think we have to start looking at these scenarios. I mean, if you had to speculate and say, what's the most logical way to develop a city? You have to develop within a catchment. Because then it's a self-contained system. But the minute you have multiple catchments feeding a catchment, which is a municipality, which then feeds off down to somewhere else, wow, that gets comprehensive and complex. Now, maybe Cape Town, due to its nature, is very much aligned to that because you do have a situation where they are in control of their own catchment. And that blew my mind. And she went away, going back to the Reedflay example, and took some of the maps that we said and said, I'm going to change my study extent because I have to think bigger and I have to think south. I think that's what we do really well is that we give that context. There's the evidence base starting to shape not just the policy but ultimately decisions that will be taken down the line. Yeah. Stuart, can't wait to see how the week unfolds. Looking forward to spending some time with you and no doubt we'll pick up some of these themes in the week. Thank you for your time this afternoon and all the best. Have a great week. Thank you very much. Thanks, Pete. And looking forward to hearing you as well. Take care. (laughs) Fantastic. Thank you, sir. Cheers. Next up, we hear from Lauren Sweden and Vasilo Walushnik, two of the principal organizers of this conference. Without these two ESRI staff members and their dedicated and professional teams, you certainly get a sense that things would look a lot different and sound a lot different during the course of the program. They've developed a fantastic program over three days, and in this short conversation, we reflect on some of the observation and highlights of the program. So here we are on the end of, I think this is day two of the conference. Is it day Day three? three. Day three, you see, that's where you're keeping me right already, Lauren. And I'm joined by Lauren and Vasilo, two of the main organizers behind the scenes who make things run so smoothly for the delegates. Welcome, Lauren. Welcome, Vasilo. Lauren, please just give us a bit of an introduction, who you are and what it is you're doing within the ESRI organization. Thanks, Pete. And firstly, it's been great to have you with us. So thank thank you you for your input. I have been at ESRI South Africa for many years, actually 25 years. And I am responsible for the marketing team at ESRI South Africa and for all the event organizations. So the Southern Africa ESRI User Conference is my baby. 
you're the one who's literally steering this good ship. I've seen you every everywhere I go. I see you behind the scenes navigating that space and uh, you do it very, very well. I'm very impressed. But there is a great team as well. Clearly behind the scenes, a, a very strong team. And part of that, Vassalo, tell us a bit about yourself, who you are and what it is you do on a more daily routine basis with the ESRI team. Thanks, Pete. I've also been with ESRI for 25 years. My day job is uh, a geospatial systems architect. So I help people design the systems and things like that to put our platform on it. For the user conference, I was responsible mainly for all the back-end technology stuff, so for all the training to get the PCs up and running, network up and running, and make sure that all runs smoothly. I've got two other guys helping me with that, and yeah, and then whatever else Lauren needs for advice. Just remind me, Vassal, how many venues have you got within this? You've probably got about seven different training venues or different operating spaces. Yeah, so we've got two training rooms, Amflet and Undini. Both have 25 PCs in them. We've got a workshop. And then we've got two user forum rooms as well. And then obviously we've got the plenary room and then the hub, which is seems to have been the greatest hit of all things. And all those rooms have had, we have put in our own network into all those rooms as well. So, and that has worked well. And we haven't been affected by load settings as far as I can see. No, we haven't. There have been backups in place for that. Even with the little dips we've had today, everything has gone well. It seems to have gone really well, but I've no doubt... You've got a thousand and one stories behind the scenes of what's gone wrong. And I'm sure you're looking forward to a rest at the weekend. But in all seriousness, how's it been? Tell us a bit about the numbers of people you've got here and where they've come from. So this is the 15th Southern Africa ESRI User Conference. It is the fifth time we've actually held it at Champagne Sports Resort in the Drakensberg. We have about 550 delegates this year who are attending and a long waiting list actually. So um, it was a pity we had to turn people away, but unfortunately um, accommodation is a limiting factor here. This is beyond just a South African thing. I think it goes beyond into some, I know there's a couple of our guests have come in from as far away as the United States, but where have people come in from? So the majority of the delegates are from South Africa, but that's across the country. So Western Cape, we've got representation from KwaZulu-Natal, Free State, Limpopo, um, Northwest, all over. So that's really great to see. And then we have a small contingent that's from Southern Africa. So we've got great representation from about 14 countries in Southern Africa. This is the first since COVID in person, if I'm right? That's correct. Our last conference was in 2019. We hold this conference every two years. So we should have had one in 2021, but we obviously didn't. So, And quite honestly, I didn't think that we were going to get back to a proper in-person big conference, but I'm really glad that we did. I think it's you know super valuable to the delegates and it's great to see everybody here. Wonderful. And Vasilo, what have we been hearing about? What is the, the different themes and the different presentations trying to showcase? I mean, there's, there's a particular theme that you've picked for this conference, right? Yeah, it's giving back to the community. So lots of the presentations, even though technical, always sort of gears towards how to engage with the community, how to connect with each other and things like that. So it becomes very community-focused event. 100%. And I mean, from a technical point of view, what are the things that you've taken particular interest in or looked forward to hearing about during the course of the last couple of days? A good portion of it, you know, it's sort of new stuff that's been happening out there, new technology, how it helps with the communities and things like that, how we can engage better, get better feedback. So a lot of our technology as well is just for that sort of feedback and to 
get that feedback from the community and then give it back sort of how to improve their lives, things like that. I think it was about 10 years ago since I was here, five of the conferences ago, and the quantum leap in the technology. I mean, I don't recognize much of it, Vas. I mean, it's, it's something completely different from what I remember. We're seeing so many different things like augmented reality. We're seeing uh, this, was it point clouds or cloud points? Like billions of points which ultimately turn into a virtual reality. I mean, the pace of this is almost overwhelming for a layman like myself. But I mean, for someone like yourself who's plugged in on a daily basis, where, where does it end? I guess it never ends, but where's it going? Let's think of it that way. Yeah, I don't think it'll ever end. I think you're right. In that respect, it just seems to, the technology advances so quickly. And I mean, even sometimes we can't keep up. We try stay on the edge of it and then help our clients or what have you, and you know, help communities get up there or help you know other people try catch up with it because it does move so fast so trying to get everybody moving in that sort of direction it is difficult and that's why these conferences help a lot is you get them there and say this is what's available you know think about it i mean we don't have to do it immediately but think about something that's coming this conference in 2013 was the first time i think i'd seen a drone go up if I remember correctly, Lauren, you guys built a drone and you put it up there and it was recording information that was then processed. That's and correct. Your observations from, from again, from a, a more involved in it, what do you see in terms of the, the reshaping of this landscape? Well, I definitely think that's one of the reasons that we host this conference every second year, because we do see the advancements in technology. There's new things that the customers are doing and the way they're getting on board with the technology is fantastic. And they are able to roll out solutions a lot quicker than previously. And even as you say, um, probably in 2013, we had a drone, but 2016. 17, we were taking a satellite selfie. There are so many areas that the technology obviously assists us with and where we see the growth and the development. And as you say, now we're going into all this AI and machine learning and our, our customers are really on board. And it's amazing to see the difference it's making in their organizations as well, the effect that they're having on the communities. Vassalo talked about your clients and what again strikes to when you 500 and more people here is the diversity of that client base. I mean, there's a public sector and there's private sector, but that private sector, you can talk about the mining houses, you can talk about the different uh, agricultural products. Tell us a bit about that landscape and how you try and ma make everybody happy, I guess, in terms of the, the themes that this idea of the connecting communities and so forth. So we've had a bit of experience to start and we have a good idea of what the demographic is going to look like at our conference. So in terms of the percentage of public sector versus private sector, we work a lot on our theme. So in, in terms of how we actually structure our program, we try and make sure firstly that there's something for everybody. We have a good idea of who's coming. And, and as you say, we've got a strong contingent from the public sector, but we also have the private sector, but the private sector is also broken up into smaller groups. And we'd like them to see the value and the benefit of actually being at the conference. So we make sure that we've got multiple streams and that includes not only talks, we've got workshops, we've got hands-on training as well. Connected communities can be described in so many different ways, whether we're connecting our groups of users or we're connecting communities or the communities that we work 
in. From that point of view, our program does really cover a broad spectrum. It goes across all industries. We'll have a lot of government departments here who do lots of different things, as we heard from our keynote speaker, that was Housing Development Agency, right down to the telcos. We've got the insurance guys. So yes, there's a broad spectrum, but we somehow manage to keep them connected. So our keynote on Tuesday evening for our opening plenary was Brian Nell from Rise Against Hunger. So when we were thinking about the theme for the conference, we really wanted to get the core ethos of the company across. And a lot of what we do, and I think it's a lot what people don't see what we do. I know, I know we're a software company, but we also lot of do a lot of work within the communities and we try and give back in the, in the, the best way that we can. With our theme, Connected Communities, we wanted to bring in an organization that works in the communities that has also some sort of spatial and location awareness involved in their organization, which they do. They support ECD centers around the country. And we just really thought it would be an inspiring and uplifting story to hear from um, Brian at Rise Against Hunger. So that was definitely, you know, uh, a fabulous story to hear. And then we hosted a meal packing event with Rise Against Hunger on Wednesday afternoon. We had 180 volunteers and over an hour and a half, we managed to pack 35,000 meals, which was unbelievable. Really, really outstanding. Yeah. And um, everybody had a smile while they were doing it. So that was even better. It was really fun and just inspiring, heartwarming and I think it has just fitted in beautifully with our conference in terms of the connected community theme. Another thing that really impressed me was the presentations this morning, or let's say there was a, an award in relation to a hackathon event. And the second thing was around this sort of internship that Esri has. Can you maybe tell us a bit about the background to that? Yeah, so Pete, we have different community programs, which is um, headed by Varosha Nadu in our marketing department. She looks after our community programs and under the community programs, we have various initiatives, one of which is our YES internship program. So that's where we look to help unemployed youth do some skills development within the, the GIS environment. So we offer free training for a week to unemployed youth. We put out um, some notices on social media and some ads. We get them in, probably we do one week a month for the unemployed youth. And then we try and actually look at those students who've done really well on that course and potentially look at them, bring them in for an internship. If they get accepted onto that program, it's a 12-month program where they are exposed to learning through our Esri South Africa College. They are mentored. They are given access to all the resources and to software. Through that process, we either try and place them at some of our companies who are looking for young interns, or alternatively, they're actually absorbed by Esri South Africa. So we really go full circle, and there's some absolute gems out there. Well, we saw Vuyo, I think it was this morning, and I mean, that was, again, genuinely inspiring, and I would say we're hoping to hear from him later today, and uh, more strength to that program. This industry, the whole geospatial data, the software behind it, I guess it, it, there's many dimensions to what you guys do as Esri, but that you're giving opportunities to, as you say, unemployed youth to find opportunities and ultimately go back to those communities and make the difference. That, I think, is magic and more strength to you and the team for that. Anything else you'd like to reflect on from your side, Vas? All I can say is I think it's been going well, the conference. I mean, it's run smoothly. Haven't had any major issues or anything. So I think, yeah, 
Job well done, Vez. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and job well done, Lauren. I must, I, I, I must just share a, light, a lighter note uh, as an anecdote. So we, uh, you, you have your own medic on the grounds here. And uh, when I saw the gentleman a couple of days ago, I thought, so I wonder, I wonder what this, the, the gentleman actually has to do, you know? Let's hope there's no heart attacks. Let's hope there's no major incident. Well, this morning I met him because I needed him because somehow managed to rub off my feet, my ankles off with my shoes. And so he was really helpful. So thank you for also having the first aiders here to help us when we need it. But again, I think that shows you the level of detail and the amount of attention to detail that's gone in here. More strength, as I say, to you, the team, Lauren Vassalo. Thanks for your time this afternoon. It's a dinner dance tonight. A little bit of a dinner party tonight. Dinner party. You're going to put your dancing shoes on? 100%. And I hope you are too, even if you have to come barefoot. I'll have to come barefoot (laughs) after those blisters. But genuinely, travel safely. Thank you for your time and for the invitation to be here. I say, from my side, absolute privilege. And thank you for spending some time talking on the podcast. Oh, Mm -hmm. thanks for the time, Pete. Much appreciated. And last, but certainly not least, in this first episode, we hear from Adam Carno from Esri Global. It's Adam's first time in South Africa. He's clearly loving what he sees and what he's hearing as he travels through the country and enjoys the company of Southern Africa Esri GIS users. The way that they're using GIS to advance the thinking and intelligence of different sectors and also his reflections on the ancillary programs that are driving some of Esri's community outreach to the youth via the YES internship program and the hackathon competition. It was great to get a global sense of what is going on how South Africa is shaping up within that global community. Absolutely delighted to be joined now by Adam Carno, who's travelled in from the United States to be with us, from Esri Global. Welcome, Adam. Your first time in South Africa. Yes, sir. Hope you're enjoying it. Incredible. Amazing. Totally enjoying it. It's always fantastic to welcome guests to South Africa, and hopefully not the last time that we see you. No, definitely not. Tell us a bit about what's brought you here, what you do with the Esri Global Group, and some of just the observations you've seen over the last few days. Sure, yeah. I've been with Esri for 15 of the 30 years that I've been a GIS professional. This is my third different role at Esri. I started out as a local government account manager on the sales side. I then became a community evangelist. So I really helped try to raise up the profession and help people become GIS leaders in their organizations. And then now I'm on the industry solutions team, which means I am in the marketing arm of Esri and I focus on the public works industry. Public works in the States revolves around assets and infrastructure that a local government might own, whether it be a road, a trash can, a bench, a street light, public works, sometimes water dealing with maintaining and improving all of that infrastructure. I know that there is the big user conference in the States. What are you seeing here, Adam, that's either inspired you or you're like, I'm glad to see that that's made it across to South Africa. Any observations that have really inspired you? Yeah, so a few things. Number one is I've learned that GIS people are the same everywhere. So they're all passionate, they're all dedicated, they're all innovative they're all very driven to do good for their organization and their communities. And I don't know what it is that draws those types of people to our community, but it's very valuable. And it's just amazing to me that no matter where I go, I just see the same dedicated people doing incredible work. What I am really inspired me is that seeing people be so successful with the technology in a place that's challenged as far as certain resources, certain things, South Africans do not have the access to the internet, to power, to education, 
to mobility that we in the States have. And so the fact that they've overcome that to do as much innovative, incredible work as we do is incredibly inspiring to me. This morning, we heard from particularly around the the youth uh, internship program. Interested to know if you've got similar things going on in the U.S. And just to see Vuyo and some of some of his colleagues giving testimonials to how important that's been. People who've been unemployed youth, but are now finding a home in this industry that, as you say, you've been part of for almost three decades. Tell me a bit about what, how that makes you feel and what your thinking is in relation to that. It's amazing and incredibly inspiring. Some of the most inspiring things I've seen at, at a conference and applaud Esri South Africa and what they've done and the fact that their motto is simplifying decisions and making a difference. I mean, they take that seriously. They're doing it in multiple ways, whether it be the college or the intern program or the entrepreneur program. The fact that it is a part of who they are, that echoes Esri Global. In 1969, when Jack and Laura founded it, that was part of the reason that they did is they wanted to use the technology to make the world a better place. And to see that here being done so strongly with an environment and a community of people that need it is just incredibly inspiring. Adam, I really want to wish you all the very best. Today is the sort of the last thoughtful, formal program. I think tomorrow it's a bit of a plenary, but then hopefully you have a couple of days in and around Drakensberg before you head out of Joburg. Right? Yeah, I'm going to do a couple of fun things in, in Drakensberg, try to do the Sony Pass and the amphitheater, and then I head back to Joburg and I'll fly home on Monday. Enjoy the tourist experience as much as the busman's holiday. <laughs> Look after yourself and please don't be a stranger, Adam. All no, the best to you. I love it. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this content of the Talking Transformation podcast. Please feel free to give us feedback via our Twitter platform. That's at Talking Transfo and the number one. Or alternatively, via our email address, talkingtransformation101 at gmail.com. Thanks and recognition also to Tribal Need for allowing us to use their track, Flags, as our introductory and closeout music on this podcast.